With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phillips Levin of the 1012 Podcast here. If you've been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a short intro because we've got a long pod. Two fantastic guests, Chris Plank of Sooner Sports, joining us. We're going to talk Big 12 softball. The Big 12 tournament is this coming weekend. Oklahoma just won the Big 12 regular season. How many Big 12 teams can get into the postseason? It could be five. Which five? Well, really, the question is, which two, along with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas, could make their one of those chances? Really great conversation with him. I love talking Big 12 softball. It's so much fun. Also, Jackson Griffon, Ramblin' Raiders podcast, joining us as well. Very excited to have him on the show. We're talking Texas Tech, Texas Tech football, Matt Wells, Tyler Shuck, Sonny Cumbie. It's it's one of the teams that I'm weirdly intrigued by this upcoming season in the Big 12 because it's the team with the hottest seat under its head coach. So really good conversation with him couple of just news and notes we need to get to real quick. Big weekend coming up in collegiate tennis. Number two seed Texas women's team still vying for the national championship. They'll face off against 15 seed Ohio State on the women's side. On the men's side, four seed Texas will face South Carolina. Two seed Baylor will face 15 seed Ole Miss. And seven seed TCU will face unseeded Ohio State, who's pulled off an upset in the last round for Wake Forest. Three Big 12 teams all in action. In fact, if TCU and Baylor win, we'll get a Big 12 matchup. A Big 12 matchup with a berth in the semifinals on the line. Big stuff there. Congratulations to the Baylor, Texas, and Oklahoma State women's golf teams. They advanced out of regional play. or heading to the women's golf championship. Baylor kind of got a little bit lucky. If you haven't seen the cluster that occurred in Baton Rouge at LSU's course and why they never actually played the Baton Rouge regional, 
you should go look it up. You too will be incredibly frustrated by that nonsense and ridiculousness that occurred in Baton Rouge. But congratulations to Baylor. It's not their fault. They were the three seeds, so they're automatically moving on. So three of the 24 teams, all from the Big 12. Congrats to all of them. Speaking of teams like Baylor and Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, and we'll even throw in Iowa State here because why not? Little podcast business, Home Field Apparel, sponsor here on the 1012 Podcast. We love having them in part because we love what they do. We love having a sponsor here on the show that cares as much about college sports as we do. And that's their whole business, creating incredibly comfortable t-shirts, sweaters, and hoodies with just some of the most amazing vintage college sports logos and graphics on them. Right? Really, I, if you haven't gone yet, if you've been listening to this podcast, if you're a first-time listener and you haven't gone, go to Homefield Apparel. If you've been listening over and over and over again, all of our episodes or occasionally, and you've heard us talk about them and you haven't gone yet, you really should. Okay, They've got Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Baylor. They've got more than 100 different schools. I'm sorry, West Virginia, I'm going to say this. The new pit stuff is fantastic. It really, really is. They just put out some new pit gear. You need to go check it out. And when you do, if you haven't purchased yet, Get 20% off your first order with the promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2. 20% off your first order. And be keeping an eye out. Big New Saturday Season 2 starts in June. And there's some Big 12 schools coming. There's some Big 12 schools coming. We're very excited about them. We know which ones they are. We're not going to tell you. Not going to tease it. Not going to drop hints. Sorry. Very, very excited about that. So remember that. Just remember that. Be keeping an eye on it because when the announcement comes, when they start getting teased, we're going to talk about it here on this show. I promise. I promise. So remember, promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2, gets you 20% off your first order. All orders of $70 or more right now get free shipping. So do us a favor. Give us a follow on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Give us a follow on the gram at 1012pod. Leave us a rating and a review. Five stars, please. Please. I beg of you. Five stars would be great. We're at 48 ratings. I'd like to get to 50. Leave us a review. If you do, we'll read it here on the podcast. All right. I've done this as quickly as I can. Chris Plank, Jackson Griffon, coming on the show. Let's get to it. Big 12 Softball Tournament is this weekend. So that's what we, of course, are going to talk about. Very excited to have our good friend Chris Plank back on the show today. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back again, man. And uh, I know I've been a little bit busy. This has ended up being a wildly, I guess you could say, time-consuming year, you know, and not just the, the number of games. I think all total, the, the Sooners and a handful of others will play probably about 10 fewer games than they would during the regular season, typically, maybe a little bit more, but... It's just the timing of the trips, right? A Tuesday trip here, a Tuesday trip there. Then it's just been a wild season, and I'm so excited that we're in the postseason now. Yeah, I mean, and look, the Big 12 has been a lot of fun. We had an an amazing three-game series between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State this past weekend to cap off the regular season for the Big 12. I, I don't I don't I don't know how you could have ended the Big 12 regular season oh. better than than those three games where it was close all three. Oklahoma State pulls off an upset, gives OU just their second loss of the season. Um, I mean, it was, they were, that was fantastic softball. And I, and I say this, I understand everybody doesn't care about softball, that's fine. If you ever want to get into softball, like you should have watched last weekend, because I don't, I don't care who you are. It was really hard to turn away from that. It was, and Philip, are you, now are you in Oklahoma? 
or, am, or not? I am in Arkansas. Arkansas. Okay, okay. So, and by the way, they got a heck of a team this year too they with do. the Razorbacks. They do. I am. This is my sixth season calling softball. There are two road, three road environments that I'll never forget as long as I live, just because of how incredible they were. Frustrating when you're the the road team, but then in the same vein, you know you're getting better. One of them was a midweek trip we took, I want to say in 18 to Eugene. And we went to Eugene, Oregon, and it was it was my first experience with a holy smokes. You know, this was a we didn't, you know, we'll play Pac-12 teams, but we'll play them um we'll play them in like tournaments, right? You don't typically go to their stadium and play. And when we went to Eugene and their, their stadium, it was just unreal. And it was rocking. I mean, I had people turning around, pointing at me in the booth, talking trash. It was great. Um, so this, this 2000 then and 19 trip to Texas, Mike White's first year, that was amazing. All three games were amazing from a crowd perspective. That was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. And then there was this weekend in Stillwater, which took them both over the top. I mean, it was just, it was incredible when you can consider everything on the line, kind of the frustration from Oklahoma's perspective that they were playing all three games in Stillwater, not like Oklahoma wouldn't want to play all three, but this series had historically been one where uh, whoever hosted, you would play two games at their place and there would be one at the other, you know, maybe like Friday, Saturday, Friday, Sunday, and one Saturday, you know, that way you save some money on hotels or just it's how it was always done. And Kenny Gajewski said, I want them all three here. It was the first time since 97 that it had happened. And yeah, he was right. And he was, I, I love Kenny G from the perspective that he said, listen, it's, better for us for all three to be here right and it was and they created an incredible environment including like an hour before the Sunday game announcing oh yeah we're back to full capacity so it was just it was an amazing weekend and not just in what was taking place in the stands and in the outfield but what happened on the field you know I think you're seeing two teams that are going to play each other again in the Big 12 championship potentially on Saturday but also Philip two teams that I think are going to the Women's College World Series this year and oh you know issue it was really fun I mean, look, it, the Oklahoma's big problem this year has been, if you look at their RPI, I mean, they're, they're 42 and two and they're number four in the RPI behind yeah. UCLA, who's fantastic. Yeah. I, easily second best team. I, I, I think that's fair to say. And a couple of SEC teams in Alabama and Florida who are good because the SEC has depth, but the big 12 hasn't been great. I mean, Texas is a good team, but they're a distant third behind Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. I could argue that it benefited Oklahoma getting those two ro- games on the road at an Oklahoma State team who sits at seven in the RPI. Like I feel like it's this really was a, a mutually beneficial three-game series for both teams. I understand from an Oklahoma State perspective, you don't want to lose that series. You want to win that series. Right. You want to win the Big 12. I get that. But I, again, it all goes back to I don't think you could have had a better end cap for the Big 12 regular season. And for Oklahoma, I understand the uh, Joe Bettner. Uh, and I were chatting about this on Twitter, and you know I, I get it. I get that that's how it's been done for a long time. But I also get the perspective of yeah, but you get three games next year, and Oklahoma's going to get three three home games yep. next year, and they got three road games that they in a year where they really needed three road games to help with that RPI. Like I think it. I think this was a, a perfect for Oklahoma. It was a perfect storm. You get the RPI. It really worked out. Boost yep. on the road. You win the series. Yes, you suffer a loss, but. It's your second loss of the season. And it's if you're going to lose a second game, that's not a bad loss to have. And it's the perfect time to be, to face your biggest challenge of the year, arguably, 
I mean, this is the first time that Oklahoma all season had played a team more than once and hadn't run ruled in any of the games. Not one time. Yep. They had run ruled yep. everybody at least one time that they played more than once. And for Oklahoma State to take them in three games for full 21 innings, right as they head into the postseason, I think is is the perfect thing that Oklahoma needed to get them ready for tournament, regionals, super regionals, and Oklahoma City. I feel like I'm talking to Patty Gasso right now. Philip, <laughs> this is uh this is exactly what she she would say. And you know, it's kind of funny for me, you know, obviously, I mean, I, I I'm a homer. I, but I but I also think that I am able to look at things a little bit objectively in 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 being a homer for not just obviously Oklahoma softball, but then the Big 12 overall, because we all want to see the Big 12 succeed and not have the SEC and in the sport of, of softball, the Pac-12 just absolutely dominate everything. So, I mean, I just I don't know if you could have had from the two losses that Oklahoma has had this season a better response. You know, no one remembers that they came back and run ruled Georgia the next game after they beat him. They just remembered that they lost. But, you know, I was just, in fact, I was pulling up the schedule just to refresh my memory. I don't think anyone was, was too terribly happy with the, even with the run rule win over Georgia, I think it was still kind of a, oh, we, we need to play better. But if there was any lingering effects, what did they do? They went and, uh, scored what was it 20 40 runs in three games off texas tech including an 18 run inning swept them then swept baylor and beat a really good wichita team on the road by 11 so they've responded well to adversity this year and i thought i thought this was really big this weekend for patty gasso because i think that coach coach doesn't put it out there very often with her opinions you know she's very much a uh our team, we can keep it close to the vest, but she was openly frustrated. And, and she's been more outspoken the last few years with the RPI and some of the rules that need to be adjusted in softball. But she was out there. You know, she, hey, they were mad that they were having to play all three games in Stillwater. She made it uh, very clear that that was something they weren't happy with because this is how it's always been done. And so when they lost that first game, I think that put it in a position where it was like, okay, well, I've put myself out there. Are you guys going to put yourself out there? And they did. And I think that's, uh, I think that's part of the reason why you saw her so happy after Sunday, because this team responded whenever she wasn't afraid to put it out there and say this, I'm mad about this. This is how it should be. This is how it's going to be. I also think, you know, the other big takeaway from an Oklahoma state perspective, the job that Kenny Gajewski has done building Oklahoma state back to, I mean, most people don't realize OSU used to be, one of the best collegiate softball programs. I mean, Absolutely. And and they they were down for a long time. They were they were fine. They were good. He's got them playing back at a level like they used to back in, in years and years ago. And yep. for them to end the losing streak to Oklahoma, they hadn't beaten Oklahoma in a decade. It had been 2011 right. was the last time they got a win. To get that Friday win, to play as competitively as they did for a full three-game series, I mean, I think shows you the progress that Oklahoma State is continuing to make under Gajewski. And look, I, I get it. I understand that like, this is how he's always done it. But as an Oklahoma State fan, I love having it that way. I think it I should too. be. Um, I, I want to talk about the schedule here in just a second. But I mean, your thoughts, I mean, you, you said he's done a good job. I think so too. This feels like this program is heading into not just the right direction. We're way past right direction. We're getting to, in the right direction, this is yeah. becoming one of the teams where you should expect them to be in Oklahoma City on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, no, I agree. 
And we should expect Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and Texas to be in the top ten. You know, they've been – they should be there every year. Uh, you know, and I think everyone has their unique way of how they've kind of approached a team building. I mean, I dig – I dig that, you know, Kenny has gone about it in a way that – what what would he kind of become known as like a transfer you and you know you, you see names like Samantha Shaw last well I guess not two three years ago and Carrie Eberly and you know I, I was kind of jaw drop when you look at their roster and their their power hitter is a transfer from uh, Virginia and their catcher is a transfer from Virginia and then you've got a, a a Georgia transfer starting at first base but then also intermingled in there is a couple of players that you've seen for for four or five years that have been around for a while so I I kind of dig how he's built Oklahoma State uh and I think the question now becomes if you're and I and this is currently you know at Oklahoma right now we're pushing for a new stadium we need to get the funding for the new stadium and both Austin and Oklahoma and Stillwater they need new facilities I mean, they really, truly do. They need new facilities from the perspective of of what they're going to do going forward. Oklahoma State deserves a new stadium. Texas deserves a new stadium. That's where we are from the uh, from the next step for both of those programs. Oklahoma's trying to go and, and, and build that new stadium, and we'll see if they can get it done. I have all the confidence in the world that they do. But Kenny Gajewski in Stillwater, you know, Mike White and whatever the future is in Austin, they need a new facility to continue to compete, and I hope that's the next step. Yeah, it was an inter- Gajewski actually said in an interview back in April, um, I believe with the either the Stillwater News Press or the Ocali, I apologize, I don't remember which one it was, that they expect to have a new stadium in the next two to three years. So I do think that's down the line. Oklahoma State has upgraded their facilities for every sport. The, the last two, it feels like, are softball and wrestling. I do think, no offense to softball, wrestling hasn't had anything in, in right. a very, very long time. So I think they might be ahead in the line, but I do think softball is going to get a new stadium. And I think that's the last, those are the last two pieces of Oklahoma state's just facility upgrade and, and really, yep. really, because it matters. That stuff matters. You see, yeah, no, it does. The and baseball it's, stadium it's has been amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, Bray yeah. stadium's amazing. And, and it's wild for me. You know, I, when, when you go back the radio station that I used to work at, we carried Oklahoma state for a long time and we would go down there and do pregame shows when it was Lewis field. And, um, Oh, why is the baseball stadiums name? I had to look it up. Oh, um, anyway, the old baseball stadium. And I, it's kind of wild whenever I'm sitting there at here, I'm going to look it up because it's going to, it's going to drive me. It's going to drive me crazy if I don't come up with it. Uh, but Oh, uh, the old baseball stadium. Well, Allie P. Reynolds. Yeah, Thank Allie you. P. Reynolds Stadium. Oh my gosh, I and blanked too. <laughs> I, I blanked. I blanked on it when I'm sitting there. I mean, because you see, you look at the new baseball stadium and it says "Oh, Brait" on it. You know, you look at Allie P. and you're like, "What name? Name?" So anyway, uh, I'm sitting there on Sunday and I'm looking around. I'm thinking about whenever I would drive down from Tulsa and I would go to Stillwater and I would do these pregame shows and how tailgating was still kind of in its infancy from, you know, being as crazy as it is now at Stillwater for football games and seeing that even back in the early 2000s, how they thought, Hey, you know, we, we need to do something about Ali P Reynolds stadium. And you look around and there's that, you know, the brand facility that's the indoor and you see the new football stadium and Boone Pickens Stadium and you you look and you, and you see the new baseball stadium and you realize it's it's pretty incredible to see what they the new Gallagher Iba Arena even I know it's not new anymore, but you know, it's 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 incredible how that's sustained and what Gary Sparks and his team did whenever they rebuilt that and, and built on top of it. But 
yeah, it's 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 next. It's next, and it's an and it will be an incredible cap. A new softball stadium would be on what has been a magnificent facility upgrade in Stillwater. I want to talk about. We're going to talk about the tournament here in just a second, but I, I do want to go back to the scheduling thing. You know, obviously it used to be two and one, and now it's going to be three games. I, I'm curious your thoughts on. Why not go to the baseball model? I mean, baseball usually plays four. They play the three-game conference series, right. and then they'll play a game on the road or two in non-conference. They played five this year. Just had your last one that was played um, in Tulsa, which is – I love that they do that. I love that they play neutral sites in Oklahoma City and Tulsa. I think it's a neat thing. Why not do something similar with softball? I mean, if you've got a situation for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State where if the best of the Big 12 is not up to par, adding more games – especially another road game or home game with against solid RPI teams would be beneficial. And you can't, I don't think in baseball and softball, you can get enough, enough bedlam. Like I, I don't think that's a problem. And you could do a situation where if you have three games, right. water, you play a game in Norman. And if you want to do more, you could do an Oklahoma city or a Tulsa situation. Like I, I, I am curious why, if they would consider something along that lines. I, I hope they do. You know, it's still it's funny because you have one one group, and I'm kind of like that. And in where you say, "Wait, two not, two conference foes are playing each other, and it's a non-conference." I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? So, yeah. some conference teams playing a non-conference. Okay, and and they're playing in a non-conference setting. That seems odd, but I mean, look what it can do for your RPI, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Oklahoma won two of three in Bedlam and their RPI jumped 20 spots. And then, you know, they had a tough one last night in, 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 in Tulsa, but they didn't necessarily bottom out because of it. Like they would, if it was say a midweek against, you know, I can say North Texas cause they don't have baseball anymore. Like a North <laughs> Texas or someone like that. Right. Right. So I, I, I think, and, and here's what helps, you know, I, while we're sitting here talking, I pulled up a, tournament projection there there is bracketology for college softball oh yes and when you look and when you look at the projections in the big 12 now you've got five teams of the seven that play that are projected to make the ncaa tournament right so it's no longer where you go into tournament play and your rpi is is taking a beating so i i hope that's the way of the future for instance instead of having and i listen Softball is always going to play in tournaments in California. They're always going to play in tournaments uh, in, in SoCal and NoCal because that's where the players are, right? They want to go there and they want to showcase. And if you're Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, Texas Tech, Iowa State, whomever, you're going to want to get out there. Iowa State for reasons probably more weather-related, but you want to get out there because you're showcasing your product to great young talent. But, you know, instead of having to travel to, say, uh, Athens and Athens is very unique for Oklahoma to have to go there in a midweek. But instead of having to travel to Georgia to get RPI, instead of having to travel to Eugene, maybe it would just be a, hey, um, OSU, you want to come over? You guys want to meet up in Tulsa and play a game in Tulsa, play two there? We want to meet in Oklahoma City and play two there? Why not? And I think it could be really good for this conference. I don't know, Philip, if that's the direction we're heading, but I love the idea. And it works in baseball. And I know there's two different sports. I understand that. But from a scheduling standpoint, there's enough similarities and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, and again, it's challenging. You're playing a good opponent. But if, if RPI is going to matter that much and strength is scheduled, which does matter, and if the rest of the Big 12 is not going to be able to step up, and I, and I don't mean that bad. I think Baylor was good this year. Iowa State was good. I think you had a situation in conference play where Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were just so dominant. I mean, Texas is really good. They're a arguably a top 10 program and they went oh and six against both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State um, I think that those two teams at the top this year were just that 
good. So it, and so there's a trickle-down effect. You know, Texas, basically, that was their only losses were to OU and OSU. So everybody else has to find wins, and so you get a lot in the middle. And, and I think Baylor and Iowa State have been solid this year. So I'm, I hope that they that the projections are right and that they both end up in regional play. But I, I do, do you, think— Do you feel good about those projections, by the way? I feel good about Baylor. Because I— I feel good okay, about. I don't Baylor. feel so good about Iowa State. Yeah, I'm I with think you. they they did good things in non-conference. And yes, they went six and twelve in conference play. Most of their wins are against the bottom of the Big Twelve. But there's it's again if like can you blame an Iowa State for not getting wins over Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, where the only like Oklahoma Oklahoma State's only other non-Oklahoma loss was they lost their first game to Kansas, which is super weird. But Oklahoma State has a few like, why did you lose that game? Losses on their schedule, on their two resume. Wichita State games, yeah, right. They've got a few like what on their resume. They lost their first game to Kansas, and they they didn't lose another one until they faced Oklahoma again. Texas's only conference losses are to, so when the top is that good, I don't like holding it against teams like, well, you you should have beaten them. Well, nobody did. Right. Like literally, right. nobody was able to do so. So I don't know how much I'll hold against you. They're six and twelve in conference, which is not great. You would have liked them to have got maybe gotten an, an extra win over Baylor or, or found a way to beat a Texas. They're thirty-one and nineteen. Their non-conference is was pretty good. They had some nice wins there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they got in. I I think I'd be kind of disappointed if they didn't. But I understand. I think Baylor is is in. I would I would be shocked if Baylor's not. And I think going eight and nine in conference play, you know. 27 and 18 overall. I think they have a good enough resume to get in, probably as a three seed in a regional. Um, but I think they have a good enough resume to, to, to get in. Somewhere. Yeah, and and, and, and I, it was kind of wild because I, I won't lie to you. I hadn't really found I'm, – I'm using college sports madness here mm-hmm. to kind of look at. And I, I talked to those guys over at uh, the Fast Pitch News in the Circle Pod quite a bit, and I, but I haven't talked to Eric in a while. I, there was a part of me that was really worried that we were going to be a three-bid league, mm-hmm. right? Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas. But then whenever I – when I dug in and I started looking at this, I got pretty pumped because I was like, okay, I'm a big – Jamie Pinkerton and I went to college together. He's a Tulsa grad. Uh, he's much older than me. But it's um, – kidding, Jamie. But it's it's interesting because I think what he's done in Ames is incredible, and they have some marquee wins this season. And then, you know, Baylor – you know, Oklahoma ended up, I think, run rolling Baylor in the second game, or at least they they won handily. But that first game that Oklahoma played when Gia Radoni was pitching against Baylor, she was really good. And Oklahoma struggled with her. It took a grand slam from Nicole Mendez later in the game to kind of pull away a bit and win the game. So I, I really like ba- – I, I think Baylor's a good team. So it got me pretty fired up to see that both of them were kind of not just on the bubble, but at, as we sit here right now, pretty safely in the big dance. If, if you, I know we don't love our PI in softball. It's not – it's not the best, but Iowa State's thirty fourth, Baylor's thirty eighth. So it's you know from an RPI standpoint, feel good. That's not bad. So I, I would be shocked if Baylor's not. I would be disappointed if Iowa State's not. I don't want to say like I, I have a hard time being like yes they're going to make it. But man, I would I really would like to see the Big Twelve get five teams in because I would too. It's good for the conference and it helps grow the conference. I, I will say this though. Do I think Oklahoma is the number one overall seed? Yes. Would I love to see them get it? You bet. I don't think they're going to be the number one overall seed. I think they're going to give that to UCLA. Um, we'll see. I mean, obviously, rolling through the Big 12 tournament, if you can beat Oklahoma, uh, Baylor and Texas Tech on Friday and then you get a rematch with either Oklahoma State or Texas and you can win that, it would be hard to ignore because that would be four wins over Texas, three or four over Oklahoma State. But um, I don't know. I, I Maybe that's, that's partial – pessimism on my part uh but i did i don't know if oklahoma is going to get that nod like they deserve but who knows 
maybe maybe the NCAA and the selection committee looks at it a little bit differently and says, well, we'll make OU the one and we'll give him a little bit more difficult 16 in the potential super regional because it's more regional. And maybe it's a Kentucky that they put there or maybe, I don't know, it, maybe it's a Tennessee that ends up the team that Oklahoma would play in the super regional uh, I, or a Missouri for that matter. I don't know, but I just, I think that's going to be the seating slash rankings is going to be fascinating when the field is released on Sunday night. It'd be really interesting to deal with the regional hosting because you're going to, it feels like they haven't announced it. They announced the top 20 schools, um, right. Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Texas are all amongst those. You would, you'd have be a hard pressed to think that Oklahoma and Oklahoma state are probably going to host regionals. I feel like Texas will. Um, Arkansas, it feels like they're a school that's going to get to host. That's a lot of teams right gathered together right there in the, in the same spot. So it's going to be interesting to yep. see who gets sent to those four. My biggest question at this point is Oklahoma is going to get a, a top eight seed. They're going to get a, a national seed. I think does, so too. Does Oklahoma State, do they get a seven or eight? Do they get a six? Or because the rankings are all over the place. Some, some, you know, the RPI, they're at seven. I've seen some rankings with them at, at six. I've seen some rankings with them at nine, which, whatever. Um, I get it. So a couple of eh, losses. Can Oklahoma State get a top eight seed and secure home for Super Regionals? That's, I think that's my the, big question. I, I think the three Big 12 teams should all definitely be in the top eight. I think Oklahoma should. I think Texas should. I think Oklahoma State should. Now, maybe on Friday, that game between Oklahoma State and Texas becomes a game to where, you know, as even though I think Oklahoma State's resume is infinitely better than Texas, and they swept them this year. Maybe in the eyes of the selection committee, that becomes like a, hey, this is the battle for seven, eight, nine, and whoever wins it and moves on, whatever. But as we're sitting here right now, Philip, taping this, to me, I, I think all three Big 12 teams deserve to be in that top eight right now. And, you know, I, I beyond the RPI and just me thinking about the best eight teams that I've seen this year, I think it's UCLA, Oklahoma, and let me let me do my order here. It's Oklahoma, UCLA, it's Bama, Florida, LSU, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, and Texas. Those are the eight best teams I've seen this year. Don't give me Florida State. Arizona, I think, is 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 beatable this year. If you want to try to push up Arizona State, they were pretty good, but very beatable. I just Again, I, I think those are the best eight this year. Those are the eight sh that should be in position to host a Super Regional. But then you also look at, okay, well, did we truly predetermine regional sites and Super Regionals, or did we just put the top 20 teams in the mix to potentially host a regional? And then, you know, you'll determine the Super Regional for that. I think that's going to be kind of a fascinating thing to keep an eye on. So let's talk about the Big 12 tournament this weekend. Starts on Friday. Uh, pool A. Oklahoma, the one seed in the course, winning the regular season. Uh, four seed Baylor, uh, six seed Texas Tech. In Pool B, you get two seed Oklahoma State, three seed Texas, along with Iowa State. Because there's only seven teams, seventh place right. gets left out. Sorry. Uh, look, I, I think Oklahoma's going to win this. I, again, you lose one game on the road on Friday with a, after an amazing performance by Kerry Everly to Oklahoma State. I think OU has this. You made an interesting point on the impact of Oklahoma State versus Texas. That game is on is on Friday. That's the third game out of Pool B. Huge game. We talked about Baylor and Iowa State. Well, let, let me before we do that. Do, I mean, OU's going to win this, and so I hate asking this question, but I'm going to ask anyways because it's the <laughs> thing you're supposed to do. Can anybody else? Do you honestly view this yeah. as a situation where do you think somebody else really could 
pull off the win over Oklahoma. Yeah. Oh, I mean, listen, Oklahoma State did it right now. And I think I think Coach Gasso would want her team to to understand that, that this isn't just a situation where you're going out and you're throwing your jersey on the field and everyone's just going to be like Oklahoma. Where, yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. I mean, Carrie Eberly was really good. I mean, I, I won't lie to you. I, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't get too wowed by pitchers very often, but she was really good. I thought Oklahoma hit her hard, but on Friday, her defense really stepped up and on Sunday, her defense let her down. You know, that was the story of, of those two games. So yeah, I, now listen, if Oklahoma state ends up getting into a pitching depth battle with anyone, I think they could be in trouble, but who isn't in trouble when you get past your one in a lot of instances. So yeah, I, I I think Oklahoma state could, I, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to, to dump on the, any fan bases, but I'm, I I think Texas isn't quite there yet. You know, Shailen O'Leary is, I, I, maybe I saw her worst outing, so this is unfair of me, but I don't think they're very good um, it, it, as in comparison to Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. But, I mean, I, I mean, Oklahoma State could definitely win this thing this weekend. They, they've been, in a lot of their losses, they've been their own biggest enemy. So, you know, five errors against Kansas, that's going to cost you a lot of games when you commit five errors. So, but I, you know, I'm, I'm fully expecting Oklahoma and Oklahoma state to play again on Saturday afternoon in the big 12 championship game, fully expecting it. And I think, and I think the Oklahoma state Texas game on Friday is going to be really good. I think the Oklahoma Baylor game on Friday is going to be really good. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Baylor and Iowa state, we talked about them. Is there with tournaments the way they are, you know, I don't like putting too much of like, Oh, you've got it. This is your opportunity because you've had a whole season to decide, define who you are. But it's one last, you know, we're all recency bias in sports. What have you done for me lately? Do Baylor and Iowa State need to try and find a way to get a win or two here to feel better? I mean, Iowa State's got to go up against Texas and Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's, they got a, a tough, tough draw, didn't they? Yeah. Baylor's got Oklahoma, but they also have Texas Tech in that pool. That that that's, It's not a resume-boosting win, but it's an opportunity to get another win or two. Looking at those two teams, I mean... Is can they obviously you know if, if let's say Baylor Baylor beats Oklahoma or Iowa State I get it but do do you feel like this weekend could really have an impact on them making it to the postseason? I would hope not, especially in the case of an Iowa State. But for a Baylor, if Baylor loses to Texas Tech, then yeah, we've got an issue. Um, but I don't think they will. You know, Tech Tech could. Tech was, you know, you go back, Tech two years ago was where Baylor is now. And then you had the whole Adrian Gregory saga play out, which, again, we we can get into that maybe on a later pod. But I think, you know, and what I've come to learn about that situation, it's just really an unfortunate end at a university to where they had had a, a problem with their women's basketball program and it kind of snowballed. But regardless, I, I got to tell you something, Mike, I, I feel comfortable with five of the seven getting in especially knowing that Iowa State's got to deal with Oklahoma State and Texas. Boom, by the way, they played both of them tight in a couple of the games that they played them. But I would, if, if Baylor loses to Texas Tech, then we're in trouble. Uh, that, that would be where I'm starting thinking, oh, no, because that's their first game, and they got to turn around and play Oklahoma. So if you lose to Tech, you're probably going to get smoked by Oklahoma. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel very confident that we're going to, now that I've dug in and, and looked at it a little bit and prepping for this pod today, Philip, I feel very good that we're at, we're at five right now getting in. And the only thing that could end up affecting that number is if Baylor gets upset by tech. All right. Good to know. All right. Last question. We'll get you out of here. Who are your eight for OKC? Oh, um, okay. So Oklahoma's, I, I think getting in. Here's what's amazing to me. I, I was looking at the numbers. I think Washington's really good, but I don't know what's happened to them this year. They haven't been consistent. I know they played a tougher schedule, but if I'm sitting here right now and I'm, I'm going with my eight for OKC, I'm going Oklahoma, Florida, UCLA. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pick against Texas. I'm going to take an Arkansas, Oklahoma State. I think I already mentioned UCLA, right? Alabama is a team that's going to get in. Um, I wouldn't necessarily sleep on Florida State. I think they're really good. And if I'm adding an eighth, let me go with Missy Lombardi in Oregon because I think that they've got enough pitching to where they could win a game in a super regional. Um, and you look up, you're like, what just happened? So they're right now. I got a lot of digging still to do. You know, I haven't got to watch as much softball with our travel schedule as I want, but there's a little bit of homerism there in, in, in Oregon getting in, but I'll take Oregon getting in over a Washington though. I'll tell you what, I, I think when you're starting to look at what the top 16 might look like, um, I, I think there's a really good chance that Washington could be a team that ends up sliding into Oklahoma city, despite kind of their struggles this season. Okay. We'll leave them as your, as your alternate. Your, there you uh, go. There's my alternate. Your alternate is Washington. Okay. Chris, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. I am. I am so, excited for this weekend. I am excited for too. regional play. I'm excited for all of it. Well, and, and I'll add this too, as a diehard softball, you know, fan, I appreciate all the hard work that you guys put into it on the pod. I think fans appreciate it and we'll spread the word and just can't wait to get to Oklahoma city this weekend. Absolutely. All right, Chris, enjoy the weekend and we'll talk to you again soon, man. Thanks. Phil. Talk to you soon, bud. Hey guys, Christine Butterfield here and Madison Morris. And together we host the Winning Women Podcast. This podcast is all about women's empowerment and creating a positive platform for females to tell their stories. Each week we interview players, coaches, reporters, journalists, and much, much more. The conversations we have are unique to each guest and they always have words of wisdom to share. Listen to the Winning Women Podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Presented by the Highball Network. Time to take a little trip to Lubbock and talk about Texas Tech. Do a little football talk because this is one of the programs in the Big 12 I'm, I find most interesting this offseason for a number of reasons. So I'm very excited to have Jackson Griffon joining us back on the 1012 today. Jackson, welcome, sir. Yeah, Philip, thanks for having me back on the 1012 podcast. I really enjoyed getting to talk. Uh, I believe last time I was here, we were talking football. And the uh, I was we, we, I was trying to figure out, you know, predict, look into my crystal ball and who we were going to hire for our offensive coordinator after we let David Yost go. So we, we know the answer to that now and I uh, have some some commentary on it. So thanks again for having me on again. Uh, we're, I'm, um, you can find me also over at the Ramblin' Raiders podcast. Love covering Texas Tech sports. And you're absolutely right. It's it's been interesting, to say the least. So, yeah, what's uh, before we hop in? Ramblin' Raiders podcast, you guys have got some big news this past couple of weeks. So I, I, why don't you kind of explain to everybody what's going on with the podcast now and, and what you guys are, this new venture that's, that's happening. Yes, sir. We we 
teamed up with Guns Up Nation, which is the largest fan account um, right now, and, and we're going to work in our way into the media realm, but uh, we are powered by them. They uh, We're part of their podcast network, which has four, four other podcasts on there, and so we're excited to pull our resources together and, and try to get really quality content out there to you know Texas Tech listeners. We also cover a little bit more than that. I think that you know other Big 12 teams in some regards can you know find uh things that they enjoy listening to on our podcast as well because we try to you know do our due diligence and be unbiased and you know call it how it is so um you know football basketball and baseball we we always like to look around the horn at all everything going on in the big 12 but yeah no it's good to be with guns up nation go follow them on on you know twitter instagram facebook and and uh you know, as well as Ramblin' Raiders. Yeah. So Guns Up Nation has a Guns Up Avoid podcast, Ramblin' Raiders, Talking Tech, and Tortillas and Takes. Talking Tech and then, uh, yeah. Oh, tortillas yeah. and tortillas Takes. Tortillas and Takes is that is a, that, That's quite a show. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to talk football. Uh, as you mentioned last time we talked, we were trying to figure out where Texas Tech might go with their OC. Now we know Sonny Cumby coming over from TCU, take over as the offensive coordinator in year three for Matt Wells. Um, the The... I want your take on him, but I think I want to start by asking, you know, you bring in your new OC, you bring in one of the biggest transfers in from the portal in quarterback Tyler Shuck from Oregon. It's a lot of change. There's a lot more change than that. We'll talk about that in a second. But all of this feels, it's kind of reminiscent of the last season for Tom Herman at Texas. Like, we're going to make some big moves. You only get these cards to play once, really, maybe twice, mm-hmm. uh, when you reach mm-hmm. a point where things have to be different. I know this yes. is the conversation. I know Matt Wells is on the hot seat. We all think that he is. But I think the the question is not, is he on the hot seat, but these moves that they have made, how do they make you feel about this upcoming season? Do they give you hope that things might actually turn around? Or does this feel like change for the sake of change that's delaying the inevitable? I, you know, like to look at it and t- kind of have a positive outlook here. And I do think that uh, Tyler Suck, is that, I, I still cannot say his last name Shuck. right. Sorry, Shuck. Shuck. Yes, it? it's like, it's pronounced like S-H-U-C-K. Even though it's spelled S-H-O-U-G-H, which makes no sense. We, we always joke around about our podcast that uh, I think we've called, you know, his last name, like 20 different names at this point. But, you know, bringing him in, I think that was a, a you know, a move that it, it only strengthens your quarterback room. And I, I would say he's the, the lead candidate for QB one right now, you know, had a pretty good spring game for what that's worth. You know, what spring games offer uh, in college football in 2021, you know, um, but at least for Texas Tech, they've kind of diluted spring game, in my opinion. But. Um, you know, bringing Baron Morton in, big time freshman recruit. He's a guy who has a lot of upside. I believe he's going to try to redshirt this season. We also have Henry Columbia, Donovan Smith. You know, um, that's a, it, it's the deep. It's definitely the deepest our quarterback room has been um, in, in Matt Wells. You know, short tenure here so far. So I like I like the move. I like bringing him in. I think Sonny Cumbie. The fans are excited about him as well. You know, he's he's an old Red Raider. Played quarterback at Texas Tech. Had a lot of success under Mike Leach. And, you know, he has a very interesting career, you know, uh, or his trajectory has been interesting, I'll say, uh, watching him kind of at Tech and TCU because he's had some prolific just, you know, jumps off the page offenses that have really dominated. And then he's had some middle road, you know, 
kind of not not so great outings with uh, TCU a couple of years, not not being able to produce as much. So I feel like it's it's an interesting tale uh, when you look at the numbers, a little bit of inconsistency, but he definitely has potential. I love his um, aggressive play calling nature, you know, going downfield. That's something that was, is adverse to what, you know, the fans didn't or is it, what uh, David Yost brought to the table. And I think it's something that fans can can get behind and it's kind of what they needed was to see a, a dramatic change in his you know bubble screen on third and 18 fans were tired of the the tick for tack and the nickel and dime options and it's to me I think Cumby brings um, that element of aggressiveness he likes to take shots you know he likes to um, you know throw it up to big receivers and let them go get it and if our O-line can hold which uh, they're they're kind of the biggest question mark to me on the offensive end of the ball you know uh, Tyler gets in there. He's he's got a cannon. You know, some of these other guys are pretty accurate. I, I think our offense has a lot of potential. And I would say that the I'm optimistically or uh, optimistically cautious, cautiously optimistic. There, there it is. Um, and I think the rest of Red Raider Nation is. You know, we've been burned so many times going in thinking that we're going to be better than we are, and, and the result doesn't uh, manifest into what we think it should be. But this year. I don't see why this team could should make a bowl game. I, I, you know, I believe it's the strongest roster Matt Wells has had um, in his, you know, what will be his third year at Texas Tech. And honestly, this team, this roster is, you know, deeper than we saw with some of our Kingsbury teams as well. So there to me, there is no excuse for this team not to at least win six games. I think it's doable. Can he do it? I don't know. You know, we'll see. You mentioned the transfers. Texas Tech has had 16 players enter the transfer portal, head out of Lubbock. And they brought eight in, right? And I don't think this has been any bigger in any other position. Obviously, there's a lot of exits at wide receiver, but I don't think this has been any bigger impact than in defense and back. It's six guys go out, Alex Hogan, Daquan Watts, Ryan Frank, John Davis, uh, and four guys come in. Uh, he brought in Marquise Waters from Duke, Rashad Williams from mm-hmm. UCLA, Williams. Uh, Malik Dunlap from NC State, and Reggie Pearson from West, from Wisconsin. I mean, you've basically just kind of, it feels like overhauled that part of the defense. I mean, look, the Matt Wells era so far to me has been defined by the defense has gotten incrementally better, but the offense has taken big steps back, so, yeah. which has really not not benefited Matt Wells. And so you're hoping by hiring Cumbie that he can he can get things. I think my opinion is that it wasn't just making a change at OC; it was bringing in a guy at OC that whose name helped buy you some leeway um, because of yes. his his time at Texas Tech and he is a name that Texas Tech people will be happy with. But I still think this is a Texas Tech team that on defense is trying to get better and better. Looking at the transfers they've dealt with, you know, you've got those in and out. You you bring in two linebackers and you lose two. I mean, is this a situation where the defense is ready to take a step forward or is all this change just going to change for the sake of it? That's a, you know, a great question, Philip. And it's one of those things where I think our secondary from what we've seen to this point in the season, the, the you know, uh, spring, when spring practices started up and, and kind of what we've been hearing from um, the coaching staff, with speculation on top of that, you know, this secondary has, has, you know, burned us in the past. And honestly, I'm glad that Matt Wells is, is one, you know, positive I'll give Matt Wells is that he he has gone out, hit the transfer portal hard, tried to bring in guys I think that fit 
Keith Patterson's scheme, his scheme, and can get it done. I'll say this for Texas, that our secondary is going to be critical this year because I truly believe, you know, we. Um, I like to kind of, you know, look at it on both sides of the ball. Offensive line scares me uh, on offense. Secondary is our biggest question mark on defense, kind of unproven, because our, our front seven or eight are going to be as solid as we've had in a long time. We have a lot of returners on our defensive line. Our linebacking core, which has been the, really the strong suit during Matt Wells' time and really the end of Kingsbury's, we, we've had, you know, um, Dakota Allen and um, and down the line, I'm ter- – uh, uh, Brooks, you know, I mean, we've had these guys come through that have been drafted uh, high, you know, um, in, in the higher rounds and, and done well. And so our front seven is going to be there. I truly believe that. I think Tech's going to be a force to reckon with, um, you know, on the line of scrimmage. I think they're going to be able to stop the run game more successfully than they have. But it's the secondary, you know, it, it's what it's on everybody's mind. And, you know, with, with bringing in some of these transfers that – one have experience, which is big time. You know, a lot of these guys have seen substantial minutes at at you know the, the respected schools they're coming from. I think that'll make a big difference. How how much better does Adrian Fry get? A guy who had an amazing freshman campaign and then disappeared off the face of the earth. You know, kind of after that, after his freshman outing, um, which was actually the last year of of the Kingsbury um, era. You know, Seth Collins. A lot, lot of – I mean, he's seen a lot of snaps. Eric Monroe, you know, guy transferred from LSU last last uh, go-around. Um, Demarcus Fields has seen a lot of action. How much better have these guys gotten? I think that's kind of something it, – It's the potential's there, but, you know, I'm always uh, hesitant because of, of, you know, what you – or I guess what I stated earlier was that we've been – our secondary, with how good Big 12 offenses are, you know, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, UT – uh, you know, uh, Iowa State even can can you know hit you with the tight ends too. It's like our secondary has has just not quite been at that level that we needed them to be. How much better do these guys get that I've listed off? And then what impact? Which I th- I think it'll be positive. You know, what impact does Marquise Waters have? Rashad Williams. What can these guys come in and do straight off the jump? And and um, I expect us to take a step forward, but I think some of that's part of me being an optimistic fan. You know, we'll we'll see come uh come September. So how do you feel about the Cumbie hire? I mean, this is a guy that TCU fans aren't sad to see go. And like, nobody loves their OC unless you're, you know, winning a title. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, looking at the, the job he did at TCU, uh, and part of the question I have is how much of it was Sonny Cumbie and how much of it was Gary Patterson and how much of it was just a bad fit. But I mean, realistically, when we talked, he was not on the list. That was not a guy on the list that we were considering. How did you feel when he was named the OC, and has that changed from then to now? So, you know, what's funny about that is I, I was looking back kind of at my notes and, and um, listening to the last time I came on here because, you know, I, I went through, uh, you know, these these five potential candidates, and Cumbie, I thought, you know, I, I didn't add him on there because I actually thought that was just an unreasonable I, – I didn't think there was any way he'd have interest, you know, and, and want to leave TC to a program who's – we traded off with over the years, but um, I mean, he had a cushy job there. I know him and Patterson had some animosity, um, but you know, I, I always think back to the uh, Trevon Boykin. You know, what was that, 2014 or 14 TCU, and how electric and dynamic that uh, that offense was. And um, and I get, yeah, you know, I, I have words I could say. I won't. 
uh, dive in about Gary Patterson. I know there was some, you know, it might have not been the easiest work environment, but to me, it wasn't a, a realistic, you know, option. I, I didn't think he would actually leave TCU for Tech. I, I'll put it this way: I was so disappointed with David Yost that it was almost one of those just give me somebody new, you know. And I, and Yost had his moments; he did, but just overall, the inconsistencies. And his his unwillingness to adapt his schemes to to fit you know the the big twelve criteria. I was so over Yost that Cumby, a guy who I watched growing up, you know, loved watching as a, as a diehard you know Texas Tech fan when I was a kid, and, and to see you know I think back at like I said that 2014 TCU offense, and um you know seeing the way he's he's utilized some running backs in these last two years at TCU and really gotten the most out of um. Um, quarterbacks who who needed uh, needed some mentoring, you're right. No, needed some some help progressing. To watch how his player development, he's already really helped us out on the recruiting trail. You know, we pulled um, what's his name from TCU, the uh, lineman TJ Stormont. Uh, Stormont, yeah. I mean, you know, he, he brought some guys with him. He's already recruiting the area and bringing West Texas kids back to Texas Tech instead of having schools like TCU steal them away from us. So I do think his identity, I see what you're saying too. It was definitely a hire where it's, it's the safe pick, right? Fans are going to love the name and uh, love the name recognition. I mean, and, and, you know, his, his, you know, uh, status with the school, longstanding status and, and being an alumni. But I truly believe that it just <laughs> knock on, I'm going to knock on my, my, you know, desk right here, knock on wood that it can't get worse than what we had with David Yost this last year. You know, we'll see. I hope that he gets in there. And, and like I said earlier, I really love his ability to, to go downfield. You know, he's he's I feel like with TCU being able to utilize, uh, improve our running game or improve their running game. Sorry. So I hope he can do the same for us. And then also take shots and, and utilize big athletic receivers, which Tech has a couple this year. We lost We Unfortunately, we lost a couple to U of H, which I feel like I should just go get a degree from there because it's basically you know, Texas Tech South now with uh, with all the, the players that seem to be leaving for U of H from us. But, um, you know, can can he, uh, you know, uh, Eric Azucama, can he utilize these guys? I, I wish TJ Vasher still had another year because that's a guy who I feel like wasn't appreciated in, in a David Yo scheme. You know, um, let's get back to that air raid, that old, you know, throw it, uh, which, you know, everybody runs a, ver a variation of it now, but the old kind of let's throw it downfield, let's be aggressive, the Cliff Kingsbury. Michael Leach, you know, it's spread it out. I feel like Cumbie will will at least appease fans more so in, in that manner. So here's here's my deal. I when they hired Wells, it felt like they were trying to break away from Mike Leach for the first time. It really felt like yeah. it's time to stop clinging to the past, doing what USC did for years and just trying to go find Pete Carroll guy to bring back in and, and bring that back. And it's, it's the guy who can't get over his ex-girlfriend. And so he keeps looking for, you know, brunettes who, who love Stevie wonder, whatever, um, or pirates. And so they finally went away from that. And it, and for two seasons, it just didn't work. And I think it's a combination of things. I don't think David Yost was a great OC fit for the Big 12. Um, I think you had quarterback injuries, which were a massive problem. Alan Bowman couldn't stay healthy. And I think that hurt the team as well. And so 
they just went back and said, okay, well, we got to get a new OC. So let's go back to the leech era. Let's just go back and find a leech guy who can come in and, and, and try and get that going again. Because there's, it seems like this was a problem at Texas Tech of they're so stuck on this identity of this is what made us win. It's the only way we can yeah. win again. And my problem with that is that's just leech. Like leech went to Washington state and now Washington state's that same way. Like they went and hired the guy from Rolovich from Hawaii who similar kind of offense that got, this is what works. And I get it. It's a, it's a good system to run when you can't get the same, when you were at a talent disadvantage against a lot of opponents. Right. I, I understand the whole point of it, but it, my concern for Texas tech is if Matt Wales doesn't work at some point, Maybe that is it. Maybe that's it. And, I, I, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is the only way to win at Texas Tech is Leach showed you the only the blueprint for doing it, and it's the only way to do it. And unless you can find another Mike Leach, it's just not going to happen again. And so I just I just don't know for Texas Tech. I mean, I, I get that it didn't work doing something different for two years, but I never loved the Matt Wells hire in the first place. I didn't think it made a lot of sense, and it wasn't because he wasn't Matt. He wasn't Leach. It's just because I just didn't think it was a good hire. So I, I, I'm curious yeah. for it was. I actually like the Les Miles hire more, which is really funny. Um, <laughs> whatever. I, no, I'll say I I did too actually, and um, I'm I'm very glad that it, that did not go, or he he did not come our way after what's happened. Yeah, now. I just I'm curious looking forward for Texas Tech whether Matt Wells. Let's say that doesn't work this season. They go five and seven, and you're going to blow it up because that's the, what things that's that's what happens now. Like what do you what what should Texas Tech do? Like, I, I just I just don't know. And maybe that's a conversation to have after the season when we know what's going to happen because they could go six and six or seven and five and he sticks around for another year. I just don't know. And and I guess my point is, we've seen non Mike Leach continue to do try and do Mike Leach things. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, I think the ingredient that's getting missed is not the kind of offense you run the kind of system you put in place or the style of quarterback, mm-hmm. it's finding the right head coach for Lovick more than it is. He's yeah. got to do this. And that's my concern is if you get hung up more on an identity than fit. Well, uh, we, we definitely saw that with what happened, um, you know, over, over at, in our basketball program, you know, this, this last couple of weeks that you got to find somebody who, you know, is, can identify and relate to the people of Lubbock and of Texas Tech. So, no, I absolutely understand um, kind of your, your thought process on that. And my, I guess my goal and my wish for, for this football program, and, you know, I, I compare them to Kingsbury and Leach and all this, but with Cumbie, I'd almost like to see us not go back to the, the you know, Mike Leach, you know, let's have our linemen from one sideline to the other, you know, from Amarillo or from uh, El Paso to – Tyler, let's, uh, you know, try to run a variation of it, whatever Cumbie's comfortable with. And I, I thought Kingsbury kind of did a good job of this. Of course, we had a lot of other issues. I, I feel like I've said his name a hundred times on this on this podcast so far. If you can't tell, I was I, I was a Kingsbury sympathizer, but he just didn't want to coach in college. With Cumbie, I'd like coach. to. He's not a he's he's not a college no no, coach. no you're he's not no he's absolutely not. As much as I wanted him to be. It, I, I've seen now in the past, he absolutely was, that, that was not his style or his, his uh, forte for sure. But with, with Cumbie, I'd like to see him kind of adapt and, you know, and have a variation 
of the air raid where like, I, you know, I feel like he's had success running the ball at TCU. And I, I you know, I need to go back and kind of pull data and research on, on the numbers. No, he's, they've had some running backs, you know, uh, find themselves in the middle to upper tier of the big 12. I feel like he's, he's been able to utilize the run game. I'd like to see him bring that to tech and take shots downfield and kind of run this, you know, na- uh, nowadays, everybody, it seems in the big 12 runs a type of, of the air raid, not, not like the true my Leach, but some variation of it whatever works for him and then on top of that have like you mentioned earlier Keith Patterson continue to chip away at improving and getting this defense to a place where it is it is more competitive and, and can you know uh, I mean hell last year I think our, our defense actually kept us in some ball games and if we could just have a little bit more out of our offense it was like we just couldn't quite get those two um, sides of the ball on the same page and so my hope is that I want Matt Wells to to succeed here. Obviously, I want the guy to do well, but uh, he's going to have to. I think he's gonna have to make a bowl game this year. It's doable, and and if he doesn't, you know, let's say we're looking for a new coach, come uh, you know, twenty twenty two football season. I'm with you. You know, let's not be married to to the idea of of finding the next Mike Leach. You know, let's go out and try to find a Matt Campbell or, or somebody it's, I think for schools like Texas tech, you know, um, you, you got to go find your diamond in the rough and, and you just got to hope and pray that they're the fit, the kind of guy that wants to stick around and, and enjoys that culture um, from your school and, and enjoys the people and the setting and just the environment of that college program. And I'm with you. I, you know, Matt Wells was a, was a, just a kind of a no-namer whenever we hired him, you know, uh, an unidentified uh, candidate that, that nobody knew about. And I thought, hey, maybe this is um, Hoka, you know, working some magic, right? Like he found a, a diamond in the rough who's going to make it work. And it just hasn't proven to be that way so far. So you got to, you know, you got to go find just a, an up-and-comer who who can get it done. And, and I agree, you don't have to be married to the idea of, of – you know, Mike Leach, let's just find somebody who can coach good football and, and, and succeed, you know. I would expect the two guys at the top of the list, if if Matt Wells has gone down at the end of the year, uh, are both currently coaching in the state of Texas right now. I'll leave it at that. Um, okay, let's look at the schedule for Texas yeah. Tech real quick. Open against Houston, uh, in Houston, at, at NRG Stadium, but in Houston. Uh, Stephen F. Austin and FIU round out the non-conference schedule. Uh, open with back-to-back conference road games at Texas Tech and West Virginia. Home for TCU at Kansas. Kansas State at home at Oklahoma. Uh, idle week. And then ra- end the season with home games against Iowa State and Oklahoma State before heading on the road to face Baylor in the season finale. Looking at the schedule. I am... Oklahoma could have the best team they've had under Lincoln Riley. Um, Texas is going to be figuring things out to the right time. To face this Texas team is as the conference opener. Granted, it's on the road, but that's still a good time to do so. Uh, I think TCU is the other contender behind Iowa State. You get Iowa State at home, but I mean they're they're going to be good. I think TCU is going to be solid this year. Oklahoma State and Texas Tech has been a weird series the last few years, where Texas Tech seems to have had their number. Uh, Baylor is probably not going to be great this year. I, I mean, look, Kansas is Kansas. Um, I mean, looking at this schedule, it feels to me like if if Texas Tech really wants to get to a bowl game, to feel good about that, 
I think they have to go 3-0 and in on a conference. I'm not saying they can't get four wins in conference play, but I I really yeah. think this is a situation. Where, and, and I don't think Houston, as not great as they've been so far with Dana Holgerson, I, I very much think this is a situation of Texas Tech has got to go 3-0 and to start the season or getting to a bowl game is going to be tough. No, I, I, yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. If, if, um, you know, looking at this, I figured that was going to be your question. I absolutely agree. I mean, that, that U of H, you know, um, game that just kick off, I think they call it like by advocate or something, but, um, we're actually, I'll give a quick plug rambling Raiders. We're going to be hosting a huge tailgate and, uh, kind of do a little watch party sort of situation there. Um, so for any, anybody in the Houston area, going to that game, you know, hit us up and we'll get you a wristband and get you in there. But that game is is monumental to start off because I'm with you. You know, Stephen F., Florida International, you expect to pick up two wins there. If you get Houston and you're three, you know, uh, you start off 3-0, and I mean, your percentages have to go up immensely. I, I would almost say at that point in time, if you don't make a bowl game, you either are extremely, you know, you're plagued with injuries or – some sort of Chernobyl, you know, had to happen because at that point in time, you know, Baylor and Kansas to me are two teams that, that are easily gettable for Tech this year. I'm actually not as familiar with, with the state of, uh, with the state of the program for Oklahoma State, um, kind of where they're at. Like you said, it's been sort of a weird back and forth uh, these last two years with Wells. For some reason, I think West Virginia will be much improved, but for whatever reason, Matt Wells has had their number, the one team. He's beaten, you know, uh, besides Kansas, he's beaten both times. And, um, you know, there's definitely potential in there to to go ahead and scrape three more out of the Big 12. But that Houston game is going to be critical, absolutely critical. And against a, a, you know, coach in Dana Holgerson, who's obviously been proven uh, at at the highest level, done well in the Big 12. They have guys that we're very familiar with and, and, um, uh, to Sean Henry, uh, to Sean Henry, I mean, and and um, uh, Carter, Kashawn Carter, you know, big big playmakers on on the defense. Uh, I mean, offensive side of the football, guys that they um, you know transferred from Texas Tech. That game's huge, and and I'm really excited about it because I think it's going to be a you know major test early on, and we're going to find out what this Texas Tech team's capable. You know, we're we're talented. We really are this year. I, I truly believe this is the best roster Matt Wells has had. Our our offensive line has a lot of returners. They're the one kind of question mark that I'm not sure about, but we have um, our skill positions are, are as far as Texas Tech standards go, pretty much off the charts for us. And if Cumbie can get these guys, you know, get his get his um, get a flow going on offense, they should be able to be competitive. How much better or at least consistent is our defense from last year? You know, first game, there's a lot on the line. And, and on top of that, with Matt Wells' career and his, his you know, job at Texas Tech, there's a lot on the line this season. So it's going to be a fun season for Texas Tech fans because these games are carrying a lot of weight, especially that first one. Yeah, I, I really think that first one. And, look, I get it. Iowa State lost to Louisiana to open the season last year. Like, your season opener doesn't define the entire season. But you said it. Baylor and Kansas, sure. I think West Virginia, until they get their quarterback situation figured out, I mean, it's a, and I think they took a lot of losses on defense that are going to be hard to replace. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a gettable game. That's three. So we're talking two yeses and a, and a toss up that might lean yes. Oh, Outside of that, I don't have another game on that schedule that I'm like, 
There's number four. Yeah, I feel that that, that I feel the number good four, about it. Yeah. So they can feel comfortable enough without dropping the game against Houston and still going six and six. I think I think they I see L's or toss ups based on the just based off recent history. So I, I really think I think if you're a Texas Tech fan and they lose that game to Houston, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough season. Hoping and and really looking for where the rest of those wins are gonna come. Yeah, especially if it's a like a you know a whooping too. I mean, if they really give it to us, I you, I believe Tech fans, you're gonna see you know a um, a mass exodus of Tech fans. You know, just really upset with with this coaching staff and. You know, it could it could get ugly for us. It could spiral pretty quick, and and you hope that they recover. I mean, we've seen some of these Matt Wells teams. You know, it's been so inconsistent. But but you know, drop one earlier or not look great in the first game. You know, last year, great example, almost lose to I don't even know who that was. Some Houston uh, Baptist. That was it. I was about to say it was. I know it was a Texas team, Houston Baptist, and then turn around and should have beat Texas. I mean, there was easily the biggest blown game of all time in Texas tech history. Um, and, and, and we've had and we've had quite a few. So, uh, you know, uh, there's been a lot of heartache there, but that was just the worst. I mean, there's no reason we, we shouldn't beat that Texas team, you know, and, uh, and we've seen it in the year before that, a Baylor team that, that played in the big 12 championship, only lost one game to OU go to overtime with them. And, and, you know, so it's just weird. It's like, it's almost like Matt Wells is, is, Maybe right there, but he's just not quite gotten us over the hump. And and it's it's these teams have been unpredictable. It's been hard to to manage expectations because you never you know one minute we're almost losing to uh, Houston Baptist, the next minute we're up fifteen against UT. You know, top ten ranked UT with with three minutes left. You know, I never want to think about how that that finished out, but it, it's weird. It, it has been a it's been a strange two years with Wells because. It's so hot and cold, you know, so inconsistent, so up and down. So I would love to see some consistency. Let's, you know, that for them to come out and, and really showcase their abilities and knock off that rust in game one. And I'm with, I'm with you. I think if if we can win those first three, I feel very confident in in Tech's ability to to make a bowl game this year. Yeah, I do too. I do. Uh, Jackson, man, this has been a ton of fun. Um, we're going to talk about Mark Adams. We're going to save Mark Adams talk for, for a little time because um, I'm going to get you out of here. Do me a favor. Remind everybody, where can they check out all the work you do covering Texas Tech? Yes. So we are on Facebook, Ramblin' Raiders Podcast is our page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, at Ramblin' Raiders. We're uh, any podcasting app, you know, whether you're using Spotify, Apple Pod, you know, we um, just Ramblin' Raiders. You can find us there. We also have a website, RamblinRaiders.com. Our episodes are on our website. And you know, we've, we're coming up on our two-year mark. We're, we're, we're bringing people on staff. We do write-ups. We do all kinds of creative content for Texas Tech fans. And so if you haven't had a chance, you know, go give us a follow. See if you like, uh, you know, what we're doing. And, and, you know, we're having a lot of fun with, with our podcast and being a part of the Guns Up Nation Network. So looking to just, you know, continuously, uh, you know, um, take it to new heights. Jackson, appreciate it, man. Uh, and we will uh, – we're going to talk again soon. I'm I'm – I'm excited to talk a little Mark Adams and Texas Tech basketball. It's the other, it's another thing that makes me really intrigued by Texas Tech this offseason, man. Oh yeah, it's been it hasn't any you know um, definitely not short on on surprises and drama over uh, in the basketball camp. But uh, thanks again for having me on, Philip. I really enjoy y'all's podcast and think y'all do great work for the Big Twelve. And so uh, I'll come on anytime. Always always enjoy talking with you.
Sports Social Podcast Network.